Thank you so much, Harland. It's a <clears throat> joy and privilege to be here tonight. And we have enjoyed the fellowship of Harlan and Jenny Shriver in past years. We were formerly down in Genoa City while they were in Madison, and so we were about 75 miles apart. And from time to time, we would make a dinner appointment or a lunch appointment and meet halfway. And one time, it was quite unique because we ate together in different restaurants. <laughs> we had uh, been eating in one restaurant. We'd met there, I guess, at least once or twice. And Harlan said, well, why don't we get together at the country kitchen? And, well, I didn't uh, dawn on me too much about the country kitchen because where we had been meeting, there was a great big cow. Uh, I don't know how tall it was outside. And I thought, well, you know, that's surely got to be the country kitchen. For all that. It fits. So we met... They went to the country kitchen across the street, and we went into this restaurant where the big cow was. And we waited, and they waited, and we waited. Well, we both, you know, both of us decided we better go ahead and eat. They're not going to show up. So I guess about, oh, partway through our meal, maybe halfway through, uh, Harlan and Jenny came in. They had figured out what had happened, that I really didn't get uh, the <laughs> instructions right. But we have enjoyed fellowship together. The Lord has been extremely good to us. And we praise him again for his wonderful love and mercy and grace. It is indeed a joy to be able to come and share with you some thoughts from God's precious and wonderful word. We cannot begin our message without sharing just a little bit from our granddaughter. We were in Minneapolis a week ago last Friday. And I had strained my back in the morning, and so when I got to Minneapolis, my back was quite sore. And we went to bed that evening. Our little granddaughter was in bed with us, and we just had gotten in bed, and she got out of the bed and got down on her knees, and she prayed. She got in bed, and she prayed again. She turned to me, and she said, Grandpa, how is your back? Well, I said, it's still sore, little Bonnie. Well, she said, I just prayed twice for it. <laughs> and so she closed her eyes, and she said, Grandpa, I just prayed again. How is it now? <laughs> she believed in immediate answer to prayer. I didn't have quite that much faith. And uh, I'm still suffering a little bit uh, from a back problem. But how we thank God for the families that he has given to us and for our loved ones and the joy that we share together in Jesus Christ, God's Son and our Savior. Before we look into our study, shall we look to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Our gracious God and our Father, we thank thee again tonight for the privilege of opening up the wonderful Word of God. And we pray that as we open up this book, that the author of it, the Holy Spirit of God, that he might enlighten our minds and our hearts to the precious truths that you have for us today, and that we might go out of the auditorium tonight having been drawn just a little bit closer to thee and perhaps loving thee and loving your son just a little bit more. We pray this now for thy glory and praise through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles now and turn with us to Hebrews the 11th chapter, we're going to read just one verse of scripture from there and then we're going back into the writings of the Apostle Paul. We're going to concern ourselves tonight with the 
three different thoughts that come for us in the present administration of the grace of God. In Hebrews chapter 11, which is often described as the great faith chapter, we find in verse 7 these words. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now I want you to note here with us the phrase, he condemned the world. He condemned the world. The three words that we want to look at tonight, scripturally, are the words alienation, reconciliation, and separation. Alienation, reconciliation, and separation. And I'm sure that we're going to find some thoughts to ponder, not only tonight, but in our study day by day. When we study alienation we find scripturally that there are two areas that the Bible speaks to us about alienation. And I look at them in two, two categories. First of all, that which is dispensational. A dispensational alienation. The second one that we will consider is personal or individual alienation. Now, if you will, to the book of Ephesians and the second chapter. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 11. Paul writes thus to the believers at Ephesus, and perhaps as a circular letter to all who would be reading it. Wherefore, remember that ye in time past... Gentiles in the flesh. Now I'm sure that you have found as you study your Bible that God has a twofold program in scriptures. One that has to do with the nations, the other that has to do with the nation. Sometimes, with the call of Abram, God chose to bless the nations through the nation. For as in the present administration of grace that we are living in tonight, God has chosen to bless the nations through the fall or through the, through the setting aside of the nation, that is the nation of Israel. And so Paul declares here that we were Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. I don't know if you have ever thought of how privileged, privileged we are to be living in the period of time that we are tonight. For had you been living prior to the revelation given to the Apostle Paul, you as a Gentile would have been in a very sad condition. We have much to thank God for tonight that we are privileged to be living in the administration of the grace of God. And I'll show you why. Verse 12. Concerning the Gentiles. 
that at that time, verse 11, we have time past. Verse 12, that at that time, you Gentiles were without Christ. Some translate it, you were Christless. Secondly, the Gentiles were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were countryless. They were strangers from the covenants of promise. They were friendless, having no hope. They were hopeless, and without God, they were godless in the world. At that time, the Gentiles did not enjoy a very favored position. They were Christless, countryless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. Now, had you and I been living at that time, this would have been descriptive of us. But as one man said in a testimony some time back, and I'm sure you've heard it before, I love the but nows in Scripture. For notice what we read in verse 13. But now, in contrast to the in time past, in contrast to at that time, but now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now the word that we want to consider with you is in verse 12 in the first part. Being aliens, and it can be properly translated alienated. Being aliens or being alienated, it has within it the idea of being out of favor. If someone is alienated, they are no longer in favor with the individual or with the persons from whom they have been alienated. And the Gentiles were no longer in the favor of God. If I understand my scriptures correctly, this goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel. When the Gentiles who knew God no longer wanted to retain God in their minds, and thus God gave them up, and God gave them over. And God called out Abram, and God began to set forth a nation through Abram. And the history from that point on in the Old Testament scriptures is primarily the call and the beginning, the birth, and the growth of the nation of Israel and its history. Now, we look at this dispensationally. Dispensationally, the Gentiles were alienated from God because God was dealing primarily and essentially with one nation, that is, the nation of Israel. And it is not until God gives to the Apostle Paul that wonderful message of grace concerning the administration of the grace of God that this alienation is brought to an end. No Gentile tonight is alienated from God dispensationally. No Gentile this evening is alienated from God because they cannot be saved. God has changed that. Remember what God did in Noah's day? He condemned the world. He condemned the world. And God destroyed that world. Only eight people out of that whole world in that day were spared their lives. 
Now, brethren, I do not claim to understand God and his manners or his ways. I believe them as set forth in scriptures. You perhaps, as well as I, have wondered many, many times how a righteous and a holy and a just God can allow this world to go on in the condition it is in tonight. And my dear friend, this world that we are living in is not going to get any better. It is not going to improve. We are fighting today for our very existence as far as being able to faithfully proclaim the truth and the teaching of God's word. And the freedoms that you and I have enjoyed so long in our lives in this great nation of ours are becoming more in jeopardy every day. But perhaps our Lord will come before it gets too much worse and we will go on into his presence to enjoy his blessings in the heavenlies throughout all of the ages to come. Now, we're going to come back to this word alienation because there is a way tonight and a sense tonight in which men are still alienated from God. And I want to look at that, but not right now. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here we find, I believe, the heart of the gospel of the grace of God. I believe the truth that Paul sets forth here in 2 Corinthians 5 is one of the greatest messages and perhaps the greatest message that man has ever known. Notice what we find beginning with verse 18. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world. Doing what to the world? Everybody. What did he do to the world? What did he do to Noah's world? Condemned it. Is there a difference between a world condemned and a world reconciled? There surely is. There surely is. Now here we find God reconciled the world through Christ. But listen now. Reconciliation is not salvation. Reconciliation is not salvation. Not as God sets it forth in this portion of Scripture. The idea here is that God has reconciled the world to himself. And as we note, man is called upon then to be reconciled unto God. This too has a dispensational setting to it. May I suggest to you that this gospel or this message of reconciliation, some object to the term gospel, that this message of reconciliation was not preached prior to Paul? Might I suggest to you that this message of reconciliation will not be preached after the church is caught up? It has a dispensational setting in the word of God. And you and I tonight are privileged to live in a time in which God is reconciling the world rather than having condemned the world. Now we may not have been much better than some in Noah's day. 
Because the word of God is very clear that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But you know something tonight, brethren? People do not want to own up to their responsibility to God. We were dealing with a man not very long ago, and he was telling me about his past life. And he said, why will God hold me responsible for my past life? If he knows the kind of parents I had, if he knows the kind of environment I was in, why will God hold me responsible for my life? Might I just say that's a cop-out? Because God holds every one of us responsible for whatever decisions we make in this life. You cannot blame your life tonight on your parents. You cannot blame your life tonight on your society or on your school system. You and I as individuals are responsible to God for whatever decisions we make in our lives. And I, have to, I'd had to, I had to bring this man to the place where I said to him, Look, you are a sinner. You need Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and that alone is going to change your life. I'm not concerned about your past life. I'm not concerned about your childhood days. Like one man said when he was counseling, What's your problem now? What's wrong now? You can't correct the past. You can't go back and undo that. But you can do something about today. You can do something about it right now. As we begin to, first of all, receive the gift of salvation and then allow the Spirit of God to do His work in our hearts and in our lives to bring us into that life that God has for us, a life separated unto God, a life that glorifies God day by day, and I'm sure that you'll agree with me tonight that God has saved us that we might live a holy life. God has saved us that we might walk in righteousness and in holiness. God has not saved us to compromise with the world and walk in the world and try and be a friend of God and a friend of the world at the same time. You cannot do it. We find here then that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we as ambassadors of Christ, as though God did beseech by us, we pray in Christ did, be ye reconciled to God. This is our plea tonight to the unbeliever. This is our plea tonight to those who are without Christ. God is not at enmity with you tonight, my dear friend. If there is enmity tonight between God and yourself, it's on your part, not God's. God reconciled the world. Whatever enmity is there tonight is between you and God, not between God and you. You are the one who is at enmity with God, not God at enmity with you tonight. Now there was a time when the Gentiles were without God, even though they were not without excuse. But God was not beseeching them. When he commissioned the twelve apostles in Matthew the tenth chapter, he didn't go out and tell them, 
to evangelize the world. He said, don't go to the Gentiles. Enter ye not into the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But to the apostle, to the nations, the apostle Paul, God throws open wide the door of salvation. It includes all men. But that's only one part of that truth of reconciliation in scriptures. Let's look at another side of this glorious truth of reconciliation in Ephesians 2 and verse 16. Remember that in 2 Corinthians 5, we are speaking there of God's message to a lost and a dying world. Be ye reconciled to God. In Ephesians, the second chapter, Paul is writing to those who have by faith received the gift of salvation. If you'll note in chapter 1, in verse 13 there, in whom ye also, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, or literally, upon believing, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. They had heard the gospel of salvation, they believed, and they were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, and brethren, that brought about the full reconciliation that Paul writes about here in Ephesians 2.16. And here we read in verse 16 of the second chapter that he might reconcile both unto God, both Jew and Gentile, all who have believed, Jew and Gentile have been reconciled to God into one body. Only the believer is fully reconciled unto God. Only the person tonight who has trusted Jesus Christ as his or her Savior and Lord is in the church which is the body of Christ. Only that person can speak of a full reconciliation that Paul mentions here in Ephesians the second chapter and also in the uh, Colossian letter as well. So we find then that this also has two sides to it. An appeal to the lost and an assurance or a blessing to the saved. Now we continue on here because our time continues to move. Let's go back for a few moments and consider this uh, word alienation. If you will, in the same book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18. Beginning with verse 17, we read there. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And I believe tonight that if there's a time when Gentiles have vanity in their mind, it's in the days in which we're living. When we hear so much about intellectualism, I dealt with a young man a few years ago about personal salvation but at that time he said to me, men will solve their own problems. Pastor Wynne Johnson knew this young man. He talked with him uh, while he was down in De Denver here in the hospital. This young man said, God, man rather is going to solve his own problems with all of his knowledge, with his intellect, with all of the advancements in science. Man will solve his own problems. That was the hope of that young man. One day his mother came home and he wasn't around the house. She went out in the field and there she found her son with a shotgun laying by his side. He had gone outside and put it to his head and pulled the trigger. 
what happened? This world that he was so sure that was going to solve its own problems. This world that seemed to him to offer hope at one time. He realized there wasn't any hope in this world. He realized that instead of man solving his problems, the problems that were facing become more increasingly difficult. Problems seem to come more often. There's hardly a week goes by that we don't hear of new problems. He went out and took his own life. You see, he was trusting in the vanity of the mind of men. They don't need God today. Have you heard that before? We're going to make it on our own. But my, how man has to deceive himself. Because if he looks around today in this world and tells himself it's getting better, he has to believe a lie, even his own lie. But let's go on here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated, listen now, being alienated from the life of God. Is there anyone tonight that needs to be alienated? Is there any person, any individual tonight, any man, any woman, any young person tonight that needs to be alienated from God? Is there no way back into God's presence? Is there no way back into God's favor for them? Are they forever alienated from God? And the answer is no. They're not alienated from God because of God's side. They're alienated from God because of their side. They're alienated from God because they do not respond to God's plea of reconciliation. They do not respond to God's message of love to them. We go on to read here in verse 18. Their understanding is darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Notice, through the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their hearts. Why are they alienated? Because God is dealing with Israel? No, that's not the reason. Why are they alienated tonight? Because God wants nothing to do with them? No, that's not the reason. Why are they alienated from God tonight? Because of the blindness of their hearts. Because of their failure to receive the light and the truth that God is making known unto men today. There's nothing so sad in our ministry when we talk to men and women or young people who are alienated from God and refuse to receive God's plea to them to be saved. Up in Madison... We've had a group of young people in our neighborhood there over the past years that have created some degree of difficulty for us. These young people would come and they would sit by the church and they would smoke and they would drink and they would really make a mess around the churchyard. And we talked about at different times, how can we get rid of these young people? How can we keep them off of the church property? Well, we began to talk about it and we came to a conclusion. Let's not drive them away. Let's evangelize them. 
And so we changed our attitude towards them. God's attitude was right. You see, God loves them. God loves them. Christ died for them. God reconciled them. Let's change our attitude. I said, let's begin to pray about it and let's begin to see if we can reach them. And so we did. Mel Derry, one of the men from our church who was here, does a lot of personal work and Mel had good contact with them and he began to talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. I have talked to them personally about the Lord Jesus Christ. We've sat on the ground with them and gone into the word of God. Others have done it. We've been waiting for them to respond to God's message of love, but thus far we haven't seen that response. One thing we have found out, though, they're not around the church as much as they used to be. You see, they're not willing to listen to the gospel like they were at first. At first we had many opportunities, but now they kind of shy away from us. In a sense, it grieves us at our heart. Because we want to reach them for Jesus Christ, God's Son. But they're alienated from God tonight. Alienated from God. I can't think of anything worse than that, can you? To be alienated from God. To be alienated from the life that God supplies. Not because they have to be. Not because they have to be. The great preacher in England was speaking on the wedding feast and how they went out and they bid men to come to the wedding feast. They had all kinds of excuses. He said, there are many of you here that are like that. The invitation is given and he says, I cannot, I cannot. And this great old preacher said, I want to translate that for you. He said, that's Latin. He said, that's Latin. I want to translate it for you. The words are not, I cannot, but I will not. I will not. You see, God has broken down the alienation that was there before he gave Paul this great truth of of reconciliation. And we plead with men tonight, we beg with men tonight, women and young people, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're alienated through the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their hearts. And in verses nine, in verse 19, we go on to learn about the depths of sin. And we learn about that up in Madison. We're living in a city where not too much is held back as far as men and women and young people are concerned. But let's move along into our last point that we want to touch upon this evening. And the last point we want to touch upon is Separation. Separation. Alienation, God changed that. Reconciliation, we preach it tonight. Separation. But we're not talking about separation for a while. We're talking about eternal separation from God. In Madison, we have an organization that is trying to get off the ground and go nationwide. Freedom from religion. Freedom from religion. It was kind of interesting the other day while we were parked in the parking lot of the St. Mary's Hospital there in Madison. Our car was down about two cars and we've got the gospel right on our bumper stickers there and on the window of our, the back window of our car 
And just about two cars over was this sign, Freedom from Religion. I tell you, had there been another parking space right next to it, I'd have backed out and parked right in there. Uh, <laughs> showing them that they don't have that freedom to, and they ought to thank God for it. Because I tell you, brethren, when they have freedom from religion, they're going to wish, if such would be the case, that someone would come and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll turn with us now to Paul's letter to the believers at Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's a terrible, terrible thing to be alienated from God. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 beginning with verse 5. The believers at Thessalonica were going through a great deal of tribulation. So difficult it was for some of them that they believed that they were already in the tribulation period. Verse 5, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer Seeing it is a righteous thing. Think on that, will you, for just a little bit? Yes, we may go through some real testings in the days ahead. Our freedoms may be taken from us, but bear in mind, it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. As I had come out of the church some time ago, they, they had kind of made a mess out in our uh, approach to the church door there. and It was kind of bad. And, and I thought, well, Lord, you know all about it. And these young people who are doing this are not going to get away with it. I don't have to bring the vengeance to them. But unless they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the day is going to come when they're going to give an account to what they've done at that church there. On painted post drive. Every deed they've ever committed in their lives. Everything they've ever done. They're going to have to answer to God Almighty for. Vengeance is mine saith the Lord. But ah that's not what we want. We're not saying God we want vengeance. We're saying God save them by thy grace. Make them a child of God. Let them enjoy the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ, God's Son. Let them see what a joy the Christian life is. I thank God I'm saved tonight, don't you? I'm glad I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God tonight I'm on my way to heaven. I praise the Lord tonight. I'm not going to have to worry about what's down here on this earth. There's freedom coming. It's coming when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, breaks the silence of heaven. That which this world has known for over 1900 years is going to be broken. Victory is going to be ours. Victory is going to be Christ. But notice again. Verse 7. And to you who are troubled rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flame in fire taking vengeance on them that know not God. That obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, dear friend. Who shall be punished? Ah, some say God's the God of love. My dear friend, he's a righteous and a holy and a just God. 
Over the years, I've had folks say to me, what about the poor heathen? What about those who have never heard? I said, do you know what question Paul asked? Paul never asked, what about the heathen? Paul never asked about those over yonder. Paul said, how can God save anyone at all? How can a righteous and a holy and a just God save the likes of us tonight? Apart from his mercy and his love and his grace. And Paul goes on to tell us in the book of Romans how God can be just and justifier of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can only do it because Jesus Christ, God's Son, bore our sins there on Calvary Street 1900 years ago. He was made sin for us, the Son of God who knew no sin, that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in him. Clothed tonight in God's very own righteousness and in God's very own holiness. He took away our filthy rags and he gave us a new garment of righteousness. We stand before him tonight accepted in the beloved, complete in the Lord Jesus Christ, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies and looking for the best yet to come. But notice, they shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Forever lost, forever separated from God, no way back into his presence. Forever lost. Do we believe that tonight? Are we aware of what it means to be lost forever? Never an opportunity again to come back to God. Eternally separated from God. Ah, yes, they cry out freedom from religion. Someday they'll have it. Someday they'll have it. But like is recorded in Luke the 16th chapter, they're going to would that someone could go back and tell a loved one about the Lord Jesus Christ. That someone might somehow tell those who have not yet died. But then it'll be too late because there'll be no more message for man. Alienation. Praise God we're no longer alienated. You and I tonight who are sons of God, children of God by faith, we're no longer separated from the favor of God. We enjoy it. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, how favored we are tonight. How blessed you and I are this evening. We ought to just thank God every day for all that we have and all that we are in Christ. Alienation, not for those of us who are saved. Reconciliation, ah yes, to the world, yet to the lost. But praise God for us tonight, we've already been placed into the body of Christ. We're members of his body, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Separation, no, not for us. Not for those who are saved. We're not looking for separation. But we're looking forward to meeting our blessed Lord and Savior in the clouds and in the air. We've not seen him before. We're going to see him in that day. We're going to see his presence in that day. We're going to be thankful throughout all eternity for what he's done for us. It has often been asked, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? What's the first thing you're going to do? One pastor said, I'm going to look up Moses. Another man said, well, I'm going to look up this man. But brethren, I think when we get to heaven, you and I are going to be 
dumb before the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be so filled with gratitude and thanksgiving that we'll not say a word. We're going to stand in awe of his mighty presence and in awe of his mighty love. In that day, we'll get some idea of what Christ left to come down to this earth. We don't know what heaven's like yet. But in that day, we're going to see what heaven is like and wonder why Christ was willing to leave all of that to come down here. But we know why tonight, don't we? It's for his glory and for his praise. We have been saved tonight for the glory of God, not for the glory of this man. Not at all. We're saved tonight for the glory of God, that the glory and the praise might be his throughout all of the ages to come. Oh, how we ought to just say, thank you, Lord, tonight. Thank you for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and so free. Shall we close in prayer? Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank thee tonight for your word. We thank thee for that great message revealed through the messenger to the nations, the Apostle Paul, that he came bearing good tidings to the Gentiles, that things were different now. Israel was no longer in a favored status, but blindness in part had happened to Israel in order that the message of salvation might go forth to the Gentiles and to the nations. Thank you now for this opportunity to share the word. Bless it to our hearts for thy glory and praise. Amen.